Welcome to Just Think, the podcast. The podcast where we don't want to tell you what to think. We just want to encourage you to do it. We are three friends that came from across the political spectrum who were tired of partisan politics and were alarmed at what we saw happening in our country, including the growing political divide. But we found as we challenged ourselves to recognize our own biases, to put them aside, we were absolutely united in our pursuit for the truth. And that's why we started this podcast to share the conversations we were having around that pursuit and to invite you into our conversation. To encourage you to feel free to ask questions. Search for the answers yourself to say what you think. That's right, because as we like to say, diversity of thought, ideas, and beliefs are welcome here. Asshats are not. (laughs) (laughs) All are welcome as long as you just think. We're back with another episode. This is Holly, Amy, Kristen, and we are here today with our favorite doctor is in the house. One of our all-time favorite doctors is in the house with us, Dr. Peter McCullough. If you have not listened to our previous episodes featuring Dr. McCullough, we have been honored to have him as I think now he is our most featured guest on our podcast. We've been so honored to have Dr. Ryan Cole on as well and so many other experts in their field around this COVID crisis to get their take from a scientific and certainly fact-based perspective on how to handle um, the coronavirus and what's really going on in our country in terms of what the opposition is to handling this in a way that many of these doctors, including Dr. McCullough, would say is the way that we should approach this virus. And I have to plug his new book because we are all reading it right now. The Courage to Face COVID-19, a book he co-authors with John Leake, who we also love, who we've also had on the podcast. And it's uh, basically it's preventing hospitalization and death while battling the biopharmaceutical complex. And we just think we are we are promoting this on the podcast, telling everyone to go read it. It's a fun, easy read. It's something it's not too um, it's not too academic that you get bored reading it or you get lost in it. And it's it's an easy read. And we encourage you to go read it and then go write reviews on, on Amazon, Google, wherever you can write them and let people know this is an important piece of literature to really inform Americans and certainly people all over the world about what's really been going on here. So Dr. McCullough, we reached out to you again this week and said, can we talk again? Because we're seeing the headlines and we know we have known that you and other doctors, and I want to remind everyone, Dr. McCullough is an expert in his field. In fact, in history, one of the most peer-reviewed physicians, in fact, the most um, that published in history, in his field, right, in cardiology and the impact of um, uh, kidney disease and its its correlation to to uh, cardiovascular disease, and he has served, you know, in the past as chief of cardiovascular research and vice chief of internal medicine. So again, when we tell you he's an expert in his field, I honestly can't think of anyone more qualified to lead the charge during the pandemic to help people understand. How do we get early treatment and prevent hospitalization and death? Well, Dr. McCullough, I asked you on our last podcast, I said, what has this cost you? Because what's shocking to a lot of people is that when you took that Hippocratic oath seriously and you said, we are going to figure out how, we don't have a vaccine yet. We don't have any established treatment. Let's convene with other physicians, other experts in their fields to come up with a plan. 
you could have had no idea that doing that was going to get you quote canceled right so will you share with our audience kind of what this journey has been like for you just for speaking out people thank you so much for having me on the podcast and that was a wonderful introduction you know the the highest title that i've held in my career i was the chief academic and scientific officer for ascension health the um, saint john providence health ministry is the largest catholic health system uh, ministry of ascension health which is one of the largest ones in the united states so I was responsible for thousands of doctors, research programs over dozens of, of centers. Um, in, the, in, the, in the interface between heart and kidney disease, I am the most published person in the world in history. And then in COVID-19, I'm clearly ranking up there with uh, the, the most published doctor focusing on the ambulatory treatment of COVID-19. I've completely dedicated uh, the rest of my career to COVID-19 at this point in time. But people have asked the question, why would a very prominent doctor who had it all set in life, believe me, I had it set, I saw patients, I taught residents and fellows, I was a program director, I traveled the world, my life was comfortable, um, uh, I had achieved what I wanted to in my career. Why would I burn my entire career? on a viral illness that hit America and uh, started to have its impact? Why would I actually begin to burn my career at the very beginning? I could have, like every other chief of medicine in the United States, stepped back, you know, uh, stayed at home, gone on WebEx, and just let the calamity play out. Do you know chiefs of medicine, uh, chief uh, uh, medical officers, medical schools, health systems worldwide, they all did that. Nobody was willing to step out and do anything. Why and did I think, they? And I, I think they were gripped in fear initially. I think they were told they were gonna be saved by a vaccine that they wouldn't even have to touch or administer. I mean, it was so hands-free for the doctors. It was only the doctors who cared about patients that stepped forward. This is interesting. Uh, we estimate only about 500 doctors step forward to really try to care for every patient in the United States. And I can tell you, this was a separator. We, we figured out who was in it just for the money, who was in it for the prestige, and who really cared. You know, who really did care? So yes, I am in the process of, quote, burning my career. My career has essentially been uh, dismantled. I have um, was summarily dismissed from my longstanding position in a major academic um, physician group in an academic medical center. I transferred my practice to a private practice, but on a much more limited uh, basis, just uh, two days a week. Um, I have been stripped of uh, professorships at Texas A&M, as well as uh, uh, University of North Texas, a Texas Christian University, by certified letter with no faculty senate review, no due process, I've been stripped of editorships of cardiorenal medicine and reviews in cardiovascular medicine. Again, with no courtesy phone call, with no due process, no, no, actually no, no planning to change to a new editor. I mean, it was just summarily happened. I've been, uh, I was the president of the Cardiorenal Society of America. Again, by, by letter, I was notified that the society was dissolved. Uh, how do you dissolve a 600 member uh, society? I'm being sued by the health system that let me go because uh, they claim that I'm uh, bringing their name into the media as I go on Fox News or Newsmax, Real America, ABC. I'm on most major news platforms, 
um, uh, and I haven't I haven't brought their name in or expressed an opinion on their behalf at all since the onset of the pandemic. That lawsuit is going nowhere. It's gone into mediation and and is 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 kind of a slow burning ember and a financial drain. So you can see I've been professionally dismantled. I've been uh, uh, financially injured, largely through the mechanism of, of legal fees and loss of, of income. And it continues. I found on May 26, I got a letter from the American Board of Internal Medicine. So I am board certified in internal medicine as well as cardiovascular diseases. I elect to maintain those certifications. Uh, that means I have to take full examinations every 10 years. I have thousands and thousands of hours of study of, um, of paying thousands of dollars of fees to take these exams, uh, continuing medical education courses. Uh, and I do it as a point of pride. Uh, it is required to be board certified for most staff privileging as well as participation in insurances. It's not needed for medical licensure in the state of Texas, for instance, to do that. But I do it uh, and I've been a faithful uh, participant in what's called maintenance of certification. But when COVID-19 came down, the Federation of State Medical Boards, which uh, oversees the state medical boards, along with the American Board of Medical Specialties, Specialties ABMS, uh, started to influence the medical colleges and said that they are going to stamp out misinformation. And so they actually amended their bylaws specifically for COVID and said that if a doctor uh, was determined to be spreading COVID misinformation that they would be subject to disciplinary action. And so this was only for COVID, not for heart disease, not for cancer, but for COVID. And so I received a letter on May 26. Now this is without any definitions of misinformation, how it would be determined, how um, due process would be uh, uh, provided. So I received this notice on May 26, it says personal and confidential by certified mail. Again, no phone call, no, no, no vetting of anything, certified mail. Notice of potential disciplinary action. Dear Dr. McCullough, uh, uh, we have learned of numerous widely reported disseminated public statements about the purported dangers of or lack of justification for COVID-19 vaccines. So this is about vaccines. This isn't about anything else, this is about vaccines. And so they are starting with a presumption that the vaccines are safe and effective and they're clinically indicated and medically necessary. They're actually starting with that assumption. The vaccines are only emergency use authorized for voluntary use. So they are starting with an assumption and the very first um, five, six statements that five statements that they object to were made under oath during Texas Senate testimony in March of 2021. So a doctor who's called to the state Senate makes a statements under oath that they are now, this is uh, form Frust now, that they are subject of professional damage and reprisal. And, and you were stating this under oath, so you couldn't lie, you couldn't even pretend that any, you know, you, you could, you had to tell the truth based on your experience, your research, your collaboration with physicians and researchers all across the world, all across the globe. You're testifying about what you personally are seeing. And now that's being held against you 
by the American Board of Internal Medicine, basically. And as you said, this isn't even, Dr. McCullough, we, we came to know you because you were the doctor telling us how to treat COVID early. And we, the three of us knew we were not gonna get the vaccine. We knew that from the beginning, we didn't feel comfortable. And that was our right. We were looking for early treatment ways, both for ourselves, but for our aging parents. We wanted to know if our, because here's what was happening, guys. We were going to doctors here in, in all around the country and certainly in North Carolina with COVID. And they'd say, if you can't breathe, go to the emergency room. That was their treatment. Okay. It still is. It still is <laughs> in many places. And so we, the three of us took it upon ourselves as mothers, wives, daughters to say, okay, no, we're going to know how do we prevent this? What actually helps prevent contracting a bad case of COVID? And then also, how do we treat it early? And we knew early treatment was saving lives because we knew people who didn't get early treatment ended up on remdesivir in the hospital and it did not go well. And that was personal experience. Dr. McCullough, you were the one telling us, here's, here's what we're finding. And you were being courageous enough to share that. And many of us were following your protocol. I went on Wikipedia this morning, knowing we were going to chat again. I was like, what does Wikipedia say about Dr. McCullough? Because Cheryl Atkinson, an amazing reporter, used to be with CBS and CNN, has reported. And if you haven't listened to her podcast, listeners, go listen. She does an amazing episode on the research behind Wikipedia and the bias. And, and who is running Wikipedia? Please do not trust Wikipedia for verified information. And Dr. McCullough, it gives you credit for some of the amazing accomplishments of your career. But under your career, the first thing it says is, during the COVID-19 pandemic, McCullough has promoted misinformation about COVID-19, the COVID-19 vaccine, and COVID-19 treatments. Now, it has citations, which I did not have time to go look and say, what, what specifically are you saying? I can't find how they're disputing your misinformation with actual facts. Can you? Can I? Oh, can I everything just, I, yeah, everything I say, sorry, um, Kristen, everything I, everything I say uh, that's making a major, what's called inference or point, I reference the literature. So it's not me, it's they would have a, a problem with the citation. So we, we would need to go discuss it. So if, if I said, uh, you know, this study demonstrated uh, fatal heart damage, the Gill paper published in Archives of Pathology. We could go discuss that paper, but it cannot be just labeled as misinformation. That's actually a false claim. So any claim of misinformation is a false claim because that claim of misinformation is not cited. Do you see what I mean? This is very important. This is a oh, classic yeah. This is a classic propaganda technique. These are the same type of techniques that were used in Nazi Germany and other famous historical propaganda campaigns. Well, that, what I was gonna, did I have my, okay, I wanna make sure I wasn't on mute. Um, what I was gonna say is what's so interesting to me is the one topic that we all know the least amount that has been studied the least somehow it is like uh, all of a sudden they all know they, as far as the fact checkers or the non-experts know, how do they know what's mis and disinformation when we don't know anything? We really don't know anything about this. We've studied it for two well, years. Well, right? how, can they, how can they claim misinformation without giving a citation? There's always, so any mm -hmm. claim, uh, you know, there's 250,000 papers on SARS-CoV-2. 
So every claim, oh, the virus replicates this way. Well, there should be a claim. There should, there, there's some citation. So a claim of misinformation without a citation mm -hmm. is representative of false information. I, I, never, I never dispute somebody without, um, without having some information. So today I disputed somebody on Twitter. Uh, the uh, White House coordinator for COVID, who was the minority witness who went up against me in the US Senate in November of 2020, he claimed that the vaccines were very uh, exceedingly safe and very effective in children in reducing hospitalizations and deaths. Now, not a single randomized trial has shown reductions in hospitalizations and deaths. Uh, in fact, the, uh, the briefing booklet for the children uh, under age five, uh, COVID-19 vaccine, there was actually more hospitalizations than those who received the vaccine. And the World Council for Health, which is a health organization, has announced a recall for the COVID-19 vaccines for being unsafe and being ineffective. So I just juxtaposed that. So I said, you know, this is uh, uh, what he stated uh, has to be considered in light of a major health body calling for withdrawal of the vaccines off the market. That's all I'm saying. So I'm just citing what the World Health Organization said. I would not go up and say, oh, he, he said in misinformation. I wouldn't do that without actually having a citation. So a claim of misinformation without evidence or a citation is a false claim. Well, let me ask you this, Dr. McCullough. Hydrochloroquine was one of the ones that I want to say uh, the use of hydrochloroquine in treating early COVID was mentioned in Wikipedia. And I know there's been some back and forth, certainly by the mainstream, about, you know, Trump first mentioned it uh, early on in the pandemic as a possible treatment, you know, repurposing drugs to treat COVID. He got slammed for it. Um, where, where is the, where do we stand on, how, what do the studies now, there's more studies, there's more papers on this. Where do we stand now on hydrochloroquine as a possible, a part of a possible protocol for treatment in COVID? There's over uh, 300 published studies, um, well over uh, 60 prospective randomized trials. And in general, hydroxychloroquine has a favorable effect early, but it's modest. Turns out the effect size is about 25%. And the citation I would uh, state would be Ladapo and colleagues. He's the Surgeon General of Florida now and myself. Uh, published in uh, the European preprint server system that's citable. And, uh, and it's modest, it, it's clearly safe. And we saw no safety signals. And that was from the randomized trials. We just focused on the randomized trials. And, and that's largely where it's settled. So, you know, did it work? Yes. Does it have a modest effect? Yes. And I would just leave it there. I wouldn't say it's a miracle drug. I wouldn't say it's essential to treat COVID-19. I just finished from my podcast, a wonderful interview with Dr. Uh, uh, Sankaran Chetty from South Africa. He has no reliance on hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin at all. In fact, he, he wouldn't use Paxlovid or Molnupiravir. He, he believes that just the back end, the uh, inflammatory hypersensitivity part of the syndrome can be treated. So the point is each doctor can use the different tools in their toolbox, but there's no reason to make a giant claim one way or the other on hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin or Paxlovid or molnupiravir or prednisone. And what I've always espoused is that 
no single drug is necessary nor sufficient to treat the syndrome. It's just that high-risk patients ought to receive drugs in a sequence combination called the McCullough protocol. That's, that's the innovation, is to be very flexible on medications. Today from Dr. Chetty, I learned about promethazine or phenigan. That's one of his lead drugs. I've actually never used it in COVID-19. The Brazilians uh, would espouse the use of anti-androgens, uh, for instance, in COVID-19. Uh, what patients need to know is doctors should be treating this syndrome with the best of their innovative evidence-based capabilities. The only mistake a doctor can make in a high-risk patient or in those presenting with severe symptoms is to provide no treatment. That's a mistake. And that's, exactly. that's the question too, Dr. McCullough, which is in the times where you were being criticized, let's go back to 2021, March, when you, when you did your testimony before the Texas Senate, and then the criticism starts to come that you are you know, promoting uh, off-label drugs to treat COVID, and they're, and they're coming after you in a way that I am thinking, well, then what's your, resp what's your answer then? Okay, if, if, if these drugs and this combination, this protocol, the McCullough protocol, isn't, isn't effective in treating COVID, number one, prove it, and number two, then what's your answer? Because sending them home to wait till they can't breathe is not a treatment. And that's where I am so frustrated that the media won't even ask that question. If Dr. McCullough's protocol is not considered effective, then bring the evidence that it's not. Secondly, I don't believe, I think the safety profiles, Dr. McCullough, on the drugs that you are on the protocol was very good. In other words, it's not a high risk uh, protocol. It's not something where there's tons of side effects or high risk to try. You were prescribing drugs that have very high safety profiles, right? And so why would they want to would not at least try. I mean, God forbid, we all know there can even be this, you know, um, placebo effect. If people are taking something, they believe they're going to get better. And we know that has some kind of impact on healing. So what's the harm, I guess, is my question. What did well, you really do to harm? Yeah, well, that's actually great. Holly, you're bringing up the issue of duty to treat. And this comes up in our book, Courage to Face COVID-19. And the analogy that's used is uh, you're, you're at high seas and someone falls overboard and, and, and you, you have the life ring and you look at it and you say, well, is this adequately tested? Is this going to be safe enough? Is there enough randomized trials? Or do you just say, listen, I'm going to throw it out there to the best of my ability and try to save this person. Is there a duty to throw the life ring? What I've said is for each doctor, there is a duty to treat or there's a duty to refer. So when a patient called and they're sick, there is a duty to refer. So every doctor that told patients, no, there's no treatment, and no, I'm not gonna refer you, that doctor has committed malpractice. I mean, I would be accused of malpractice if someone you know, had a, a serious back pain or an abdominal situation that you know, I didn't manage, but I didn't refer them. So I think the important point is there is a duty to treat. No single drug is safer and effective. The, the studies, the comparative studies that showed the McCullough protocol where the sequence multi-drug approach worked were published by Proctor and myself, a large series here in Dallas, by Zelenko and Derwend, Monroe, New York, by Rialt, Lagier, and Milian in Marseille, France, two separate papers. Uh, in total, you know, th that includes nearly 15,000 people in that analysis, very good uh, comparative data, suggesting about an 85% reductions in hospitalizations and deaths with the older protocols. That's without 
Paxlovid, that's without monoclonal antibodies. Now my estimates under oath, again, under oath in the US Senate, I've testified that 95% of hospitalizations and deaths are avoidable in high-risk patients with early sequence treatment. And on top of that, the virus has become milder. So it's an easier syndrome to treat. Now there's some emerging sources of data showing the vaccinated do worse now with this milder Omicron variant than the unvaccinated because the immune system is impaired. And there's a paper by Froman and colleagues from the National Institutes of Health giving the pathophysiologic basis for that. So I think that- Can you send that study to Fauci? Can no, you his, send that to his, him? Well, no, his, his, his group published that. His group published that. That's the National Institutes of Health published that. Yeah. I'm sure it is, but has he read it? Yeah, well, like he, well, he's, I, got, he's at home with COVID. We, let's send him some reading material. Right. So, Maybe you should send him a copy of your book. Well, uh, that, but, but the point is, you know, he's a, he's a public servant. Uh, he's a staff person. And you're right. We, we, uh, of the people who serve us, we demand that they operate at the highest quality. Uh, many of the listeners of your podcast would notice, if you've noticed of any of the public health officials who have come on TV, uh, they have not cited the data with the degree of accuracy that I have. Uh, in fact, I don't think you've probably seen any news commentator cite the data as I do. I have first author and typically year, sometimes down to the issue date, uh, and I cite the data. So this is where the American Board of Internal Medicine is gonna have a real problem because uh, every point that they've made regarding misinformation, I actually have the information. And mm -hmm. so what happened was, is that Senator Ron Johnson, who has led now the five historic Senate hearings. The first one was Pierre, with Pierre Corey uh, on steroids. The second one was with me, Harvey Risch, and George Freed on multidrug therapy. The third one, again, was Pierre Corey, Jean-Jacques Roster with the main presenters on multi-drug treatment. And the fourth, actually there's four total, was the uh, US Senate second opinion uh, multi-presenter uh, panel. is a five-hour panel uh, in Washington on January 4th, 2022. Senator Johnson wrote the American Board of Internal Medicine and said, come out of your offices, meet with Dr. McCullough, bring, you know, bring eight experts if you want to. And we gave them dates to meet in Washington and let's discuss the information together in the open, in the open. Scientific discourse is the only proper action to take when there's a disagreement. And if they are claiming disagreement, uh, and I am a doctor of medical authority. In fact, I may have the highest medical authority in this topic area. So I'm interested in their viewpoints, but I in no way would consider any one of the individuals listed on the the letterhead of the letter as being an authority in COVID or certainly not someone senior to me, and uh, that we'll have a discussion in the open. The American Board of Internal Medicine by Twitter responded by saying that they are gonna join with even more forces with the American Medical Association to further expunge misinformation and attack those who they claim are spreading misinformation. You can see that this is a propaganda witch hunt. Uh, Dr. Uh, Ron Johnson used the word star court, which is a historical term of basically just a, a form of a, a court uh, lynching without due process. So one of the things you'll see on my Twitter feed, out of frustration, I showed the fight scene from Matrix 2, where Neo is fighting a million of these Matrix clones, Mr. Anderson's, who are coming uh, after him. 
And uh, that's what I feel like right now, uh, that you might as well just throw everybody at me and, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to fight them off. Uh, they're in a difficult position now because they've been called out by a standing U.S. senator and they're not coming out. So they're going to try to carry on these secret meetings without any due process and then try to apply some discipline or try to. Um, at the worst case scenario, they would say, uh, we are stripping you of your board certification without due process. You can imagine the types of difficulties that they're going to have. So I have actually already drafted a 20-page response document that's meticulously cited with my, again, with my, some of my own original publications um, and with the cover letter. And the cover letter says, immediately dismiss the action. If you don't actually dismiss the action, I want to attend the meeting. I want to attend the meeting. Again, trying to do things without due process, which now is a part of conventional uh, reprisal against physicians, is I told you, I've already been stripped of multiple professional um, endeavors without due process, without even a phone call, even from my friends who are at these societies and these institutions without due process. I mean, do you have any legal recourse for that? That's, I mean, I just feel I like if, if they strip you of anything at this point, there has to be a way, I mean, without any, without letting you state your case, you know, and not looking at your information. Oh, the, 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 you know, the, the interesting thing is um, uh, part of the injury to someone like me would be financial injury and financial injury is through the process of legal fees. That's how I can be injured. So there are many attorneys who have reached out to me. Oh, this would be a great case to sue for uh, antitrust or a great case to sue for tortuous interference or what have you. But again, part of the injury process is their legal fees. So we had a call last night and there was all these attorneys and they wanted to have fundraisers and whatever. Well, the fundraisers are to pay them. And I said, listen, you know, I've been going on Fox News and Newsmax uh, and all the other news stations free. I don't charge them for that. I don't get paid to do that. Uh, and they cheer for me every night when they see me on, you know, Laura Ingram or Dan Bongino or on, on Eric Bowling shows. Um, you know, I went on Joe Rogan. I didn't charge for that. I'm going on Daystar again. I don't charge for that. In fact, I've done about 70 expert reports for these attorneys and I don't charge for that. Where are their pro bono Exactly. So, right. So I did all my, so I made the case. I said, listen, I've done 70 expert reports and I'll do even more, but I would never hold up a case charging somebody for my expert fee. Do you see what I mean? So until we have attorneys who understand that this is not about fundraising for their fees, this is about actually uh, making FOIA requests, making Freedom of Information Act requests, figuring out who's communicating with who uh, in order to attack these doctors, uh, about launching lawsuits and writing amicus briefs. And there's many legal things they can do, but we need the legal community to step up full force pro bono. Not, not, you know, not this idea. And even one attorney said, well, I only have so many hours because I'm in a practice. And you know, as long as people behave like they have something to lose, we're all going to lose. Believe it or not, in the last two weeks, I got called to meet an anonymous billionaire and his family and all his kids are well supported in this 
in this constellation of family businesses, and they're all wonderful people. And, and I met with them and they're billionaires and they were quoting Bible verses and, and wonderful things like that. And, and I just said, listen, you know, I'm out there. Uh, you, you know, I've been called the tip of the spear, right? Oh, Dr. McCullough, we really like what you're doing. And in my personal view is $100 million fully invested in legal, social media, conventional media would basically change world history, would basically change world history, $100 million. You know what that billionaire said? And like so many other billionaires, they said, Dr. McCullough, I really like what you're doing but I wanna stay behind the scenes because some of our businesses could be injured if we speak out. And even the most wealthy, most insulated people are afraid to speak out because they are behaving like they have something to lose. And that's the root of the problem. <laughs> I mean, that's the root. Oh, and that's what doctors, I, I feel like a lot of doctors are doing. I feel like a lot of doctors are doing that too. Am I, am I on? I feel like yeah, you are. You're just a little, you're freezing up a little bit. I wanted to ask you this because um, Kristen sent over some of your latest tweets to us. And um, there was one about the um, no license for disinformation. What is that? Is that like a group? And what, is, what does that even mean? Uh, you know, I can't recall that one, um, but... Um... Uh, it's some like Bill Gates backed organization, no NL, NLFD. I didn't know if you knew about it. Yeah, no license for just, oh, I think it's a group funded by Bill Gates that's trying to strip the licenses of individuals, doctors, nurses. And it's not just doctors, by the way, nurses are equally as threatened um, regarding uh, if they can be accused of disinformation. Remember, disinformation. Uh, is not defined, it's not cited, and it's largely a false claim. They might as well say they're going to strip your license because you have blonde hair or blue eyes. It's simply, at this point in time, an accusation. Right. So, uh, without any due process, uh, without you can imagine how people are afraid. So it, we're at a most interesting time. My phone is ringing off the hook with people saying, Dr. McCullough, I support you. Uh, what you're doing is the greatest thing. I'm behind you. But, but I'm afraid I'm going to stay behind the scenes and let me know what I can do. And, uh, you know, that billionaire who was uh, giving the Bible verses, um, I'm not qualified enough, but maybe one of you three are. Uh, there's a Bible verse that kind of goes like this. If you step back and you don't do something and you just stay quiet when a crime is going on, you're just as guilty as committing the crime. And, and, and that's exactly what's going on right now. I'm calling it. It's a crime not to treat people. I've said it publicly. I've done as much research as I possibly can. I can support it scientifically. I've given endless TV interviews, uh, written uh, testimony, oral testimony. I do a weekly podcast. I've written a book now that's a bestseller on Amazon. I've done everything a human being can do, but I can tell you there are so many people who actually could make a difference if they would speak out. Now, one of the most vocal uh, people on our call last night, it was all about this, a wonderful lady who was a, uh, a nurse or a teacher. And, um, and they were saying, you know, what can we do? We don't have a lot of money, but we're willing to speak out. And, and, and I thought about it after we got off the call. I, I think everybody uh, ought to pay a visit to their doctor or just make a note when they see the doctor next time. And, and I would do something like this. 
say, doctor, um, you know, what do you think about these COVID vaccines? And if the doctor says, well, that's really good, you should take them. And remember, it always comes up every six months. So it's not a one-time deal. And if they say you should really take them, say, doctor, yeah, you know, I've reviewed the information and I'm uncomfortable with that. I don't think the vaccines are safe enough for me. Don't broadly claim that they're safe and unsafe. Just say they're not safe enough for me. You can go further. You can say, you know, the FDA has warnings that they cause heart damage, blood clots, brain damage, and, and, uh, and I don't think they're safe enough for me. And then you could go further and say, you know, I'm seeing all kinds of people around me who've taken the vaccine who've gotten COVID anyway. So my common sense tells me they don't work. And I think if doctors all receive that feedback, proactive feedback from their patients, they would actually, it would start to sink in, you know, visit after visit after visit, it would start to sink in. Um, but you know what a lot, of, what happens a lot of times is patients don't say a word about the vaccine. They are scared to death. The doctor lords over them and says, have you taken the vaccine? The patient says, no. And they say, I'm out of here. Then the patient scram. And that interaction is not helping us at all. No, well, I, I wanted to make this point that like the, um, when I was trying to talk and I was like, um, my stuff with my wife, I wasn't working. Sorry, I'm at a different house right now. But um, I feel like it, so many doctors are kind of, they really are kind of waking up, not, not enough, but they're not speaking out like you said, and, but they're telling patients privately but they're not, they're still not speaking up. So like one of the uh, message that I got from one of my friends, she said, I wanted to tell you that I have a friend who works here in, um, where she lives in, it's actually in Cary at an OBGYN office. And they are seeing some weird stuff with the boosters, placenta shriek, shrinkage and abnormalities with size and color, babies all of a sudden not growing at normal rate. The midwife in her office has asked her to just make records and keep notes. She said, it's very weird. And since the Vax uses this is from her her message placenta something in I don't know this is where you might know she wonders if there's some isn't some correlation so I do think that they're noticing but they're afraid to speak up but they'll tell the patients thankfully there are some and I've heard like people with cardiology cardiologists are, are telling the patients but it's in private and it's just and I do think that patients look even me as as much knowledge as I have I still feel like okay I've got to be ready. You know, Amy, we were like, we're prepared. We're like, we're prepared for the conversation, you know, because even though you feel prepared when you're in the moment, and I feel like so many people just don't feel like they're armed with enough knowledge. But I do think the way you presented that, Dr. McCullough, I like just to ask the question, like, can you provide the evidence to show me that this is completely safe and effective for me? And if they can't show me, or if they can just say, well, according to the CDC, you need to run. <laughs> you know, I well, uh, yeah, you, you could say this, you can even preempt it and say, you know, I've looked at all the CDC statements and, and, you know, I'm not comfortable with them. I, I don't think it's safe enough for me. And I don't, I don't think it's uh, effective. I've looked at the CDC statements. So, so don't let the doctor refer to this CDC. That's exactly what the white house coordinator did on the video yesterday. He just said, well, the CDC said this, well, the CDC is according to legal standards is not considered judicial notice. Judicial notice means taken as fact, like the sky is blue. You don't have to prove it. It's just taken as fact. The CDC is far from judicial notice. And you can say, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty careful mother. I've looked at the CDC uh, 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 recommendations and I'm not comfortable with that. I don't, I just think they need the opinion from people that it's not safe enough. And if the doctor says it is safe, you say, well, it may be safe enough for you, doctor, 
You can take another one in six months, but not for me. I think people need to hear the opinion that's been formed that they're not safe enough. Right that, now, people are so afraid they're not even voicing that personal opinion. And that's what's happening. They don't, and, and it's this, it's this psychology, right? Of the doctor is the expert. And I do feel in our culture, we have elevated doctors and physicians too much. We have put them on a pedestal of being the, the know-all of everything medi- medi- you know, every medical issue question. Where Dr. McCullough, you know that doctors have specialties. There's are certain areas they they know very well some that they don't know well at all. And I think our society has elevated physicians, doctors to such a level that they take their word as gospel truth. And for those of us who have had medical advice, gotten a second opinion, did our own research and realized that doctor was dead wrong. I mean, if I had listened to a doctor's advice, I'd be dead. Uh, One of my doctors, I would have been dead. My intuition told me to, to challenge it. And then I, I survived blood clots is what I had. They kept sending me home. Um, this was back in pregnancy. So um, the, the, the truth of the matter is, is that as a society, and this is where we want our listeners to really hear what Dr. McCullough is saying, the way that we can change this is literally one conversation at a time and make sure your doctor is one of them, to ask the questions, to not hide and expect someone else to fight this for you in the same way that the billionaire was scared trust me when we started this podcast the three of us have a following and we've built businesses based on influence we knew we could take a hit financially for doing it we knew we could ruin our reputations for doing it guess what we didn't feel we had a choice anymore because it goes back to that biblical scripture that says if you have it within your ability to do good and 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 to speak up and to tell the truth you better do it you need to do that. And this has allowed us to put our heads on a pillow at night and know yes. we trust whatever the outcome is, is the outcome. But we believe that the state of our country, our freedoms, our science, our medical systems, everything that you have enjoyed and known your entire life right now, it is, it's on the line. And I, I'm not exaggerating. If you've got an expert like Dr. Peter McCullough being stripped of titles, uh, ability to practice, being a part of these societies that he has always either started or contributed to in significant ways, you silence them. What is our health system going to look like in the future? Well, it's not only that. Um, you, you know, if you just listen to public utterances, Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum, um, l- look at Trudeau in Canada, look at the response to the truckers about freezing bank accounts. If there's a new world order and a re-leveling of the financial system, those billionaires are the biggest targets to have their bank accounts drained, to have their currency uh, flows disrupted. They're the targets, not little people like us. I don't have any bank accounts to be drained. I mean, yeah, you, you know, that, that's the interesting thing is the billionaires think that, boy, if I just uh, support Dr. McCullough or I support Holly or Amy or Kristen, you know, you go, you go ahead and be out there, be the tip of the spear. I want to stay in the background and preserve what I have. That's what we're seeing right now. And we're seeing attorneys saying, listen, I'll go out there and do something heroic, but, you know, I, I need to be paid for what I do. Well, you know, we got to get beyond that. You're not getting paid to do this podcast. Neither am I. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I'm, I'm getting ready to get on a plane. Uh, I'm going to a freedom event in, in Las Vegas. I'm a little bit worried about it. As you know, I'm, I'm pretty conservative and it's supposed to be a pool party and they have uh, these pictures, all these girls in bikinis. 
And I'm really worried. I'm going to show up to the pool party just like this. And uh, boy, I, I got to watch it because my wife tracks my every move. That's right. Uh, but, uh, hey, you know, Vegas. You, Vegas is a whole different that's I know, like next I, I'm, level. I'm worried, but you know, I, I don't drink a drop of alcohol. I don't have a tattoo. I told Joe Rogan, <laughs> I, I don't smoke any dope. I mean, I've been married for 34 years. I mean, I'm not perfect, but God, I'm trying to do the best I can <laughs> and, uh, uh, and try to navigate here. I do sense that we're on, uh, we're on such a tightrope, but I want to, before we end, because it came up about maternal fetal issues, I want to tell the listeners to listen in to my podcast, which is going to be this weekend coming up. I interviewed Dr. Jim Thorpe, who's an OB-GYN based out of Florida. You have to bring him on your show. You have to bring him on your show. He is so important. He has the data. And we started actually with fertility and we worked our way all the way to childbirth and breastfeeding. You probably have a lot of young moms on your uh, listenership, you have to bring him on. He's wonderful. I'll get you connected. And uh, Senator Johnson on our call last night said, listen, I've got to bring new doctors into Washington. They can't be Dr. McCullough and Dr. Corey and Dr. Cole over and over again. We need to build a broader consensus. Most of the young doctors said, you know, I'd like to do it, but I'm going to get fired or I'm going to be harmed in some way. Again, there's this reticence to do something based on professional or financial uh, injury. Well, and we also just need better, more doctors like you anyway, because I have to point this out. Have you seen the picture of the Harvard Medical School graduates? They are all outside in masks. These are the doctors that are graduating right now or whenever it was, like a month ago. And I'm like, I don't want those doctors. (laughs) Like, we do not need to be getting these, we need a whole new school system. Not well, only that, that's, what, that's Not, what people are saying. We need an alternative system. Patients are, are frustrated. You know, they, they get on a crowded airplane. They don't wear any masks. Uh, these doctors don't have any special risks sitting outside. They did the same thing for Stanford. Uh, and uh, do you know that, um, th- that there's something about the medical profession where they feel almost like at every moment they're, they're at enhanced risk. And there has been no credible hospital outbreaks between doctors giving the virus to patients or doctors giving the virus to one another, none. Uh, uh, in fact, patients uh, don't give the, the uh, illness to healthcare workers. The only place where there was documented transfer, it happened to my dad in a nursing home where a nursing home worker is documented. There was originally peer-reviewed publications where the nursing home residents are sitting ducks, right? They can't go outside. The only way they could get the virus is if one of the workers brings it in. And in fact, that happened. But hospitals are very safe. And what we've learned is it takes about six air exchanges an hour uh, to reduce the viral density where people don't get sick. Um, We now use virucidal nasal washes, dilute povidone iodine, dilute hydrogen peroxide. I tell people to do that and we rely on it. And we get a a head start on this quickly so people don't get these severe viral syndromes. There's plenty of Omicron going around. It's a milder syndrome. uh, And I can tell you, we can get patients through it. We are still not seeing optimal treatment. I can tell you uh, yesterday, I learned my mom has it. 
in a nursing home. She's in independent living. She's 83. She hasn't taken the vaccine. I talked to the doctor, a good guy, he's a family practice guy. He actually saw her and examined her. I said, Chris, are you seeing patients face to face? He goes, yeah, he goes, it's just, you know, there are so many people with it. It's hitting the nursing homes again. Now, uh, uh, disappointingly, my mom uh, got, I think, an incomplete multi-drug treatment program. Uh, and so he, he didn't, she didn't really get the full McCullough protocol. So uh, as we speak, my wife is rushing over with a, a care package of everything else that's needed. Um, I feel disappointed myself that my mom's uh, little treatment kit wasn't as robust as it should be. One of the problems is you can't get into these facilities very well. And it's hard to control what they have. So last, you know, I have multiple calls with my mom last night to sort through, mom, what do you have there and what can we use? And she's going to be okay. Uh, I can tell you she's going to be okay. She has severe symptoms now, but she'll get through the illness. Uh, but I can tell you we're in our third year of this and it's far from being perfect. But at least the doctor is seeing her. At least he did something as opposed to nothing. Uh, but we need to get things going. I talked to him and said, Chris, in general, we need something to cover the virus, something to cover inflammation and something to cover thrombosis. And it just, you have to have it. And I, I, I called my mom, I said, mom, do you have some aspirin in your apartment? She goes, no, I don't have a single bit of aspirin and no one can come to my room. And I thought, here we go, you know, we're, um, we're stuck. I wanted to point out just a citation on this topic, just because again, I want the, the listeners to know I'm here to give information, not misinformation. Uh, here's a paper published by the University of Virginia. The, it's on the preprint server system. The first author is Mura, M-U-R-A. And the title of the paper is Clinical Evidence for Improved Outcomes with Histamine Antagonists and Aspirin in 22,560 COVID-19 Patients. And they do a careful case comparative analysis. And they demonstrated that the use of aspirin plus famotidine or over-the-counter Pepsid, which is something easy that everybody, everybody can have aspirin and famotidine. You could go out to the drugstore today, get it and have it in the independent living or nursing home room. You can just have it there. It was associated with a 55% reduction in the need for uh, oxygen hospitalization or worse, something like that. And my mom didn't have either one of those. And again, I'm a prominent doctor in this area. I am just telling you, these are the misadventures that happen every day with acute COVID, and we have to do better. We have to do better all around. <laughs> Many of us, <coughs> excuse me, have said, listen, we just have to take matters into our own hands. These things don't take a doctor's license, uh, thankfully. Um, I will defend my American Board of Internal Medicine certification. I think public discourse is the only way to go. The American Board of Internal Medicine has been called out. If Senator Johnson wins his reelection and there's a stronger uh, Republican majority, he will come into power for investigation. And he's now put out roughly 38, 39 letters like the one he put out to the American Board of Internal Medicine, and they will be called in front of the Senate or various investigative committees. So these are all placeholders. This is what's going on. We'll have to stay tuned. I'm going to have to get off now for another podcast, but keep it up. You're my favorite girls on Dr. Instagram. Oh, thank you so thank much. You but so can much. we ask you one thing? What can we do? Is there one thing that, is there anything we can do or our listeners to help you? Like, can we write a letter? Can we do something to fight for you? I mean, besides just sharing, like, what can we do 
like, you know, you know, we're here to fight for you and with you and to support you. And is there anything that we can do? Uh, I'll give you three things uh, you could do. Because <laughs> you're young mothers, uh, you see that treatment of COVID-19 has is, is not been good. Uh, that's, that's actually in the area of the American Board of Internal Medicine, ABIM. And then you're concerned about the vaccines. And I think the two colleges that promote the vaccines that are of concern are the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, ACOG, and then the American Board of Pediatrics. Those three groups, American Board of Internal Medicine, American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology, and the American Board of Pediatrics, why don't you Google them and pick up the phone and give them a call and say, I'm a concerned citizen regarding your stance on COVID-19, your support of the vaccines, and your attack on doctors. And just say, I just want to give my opinion. You know, I, I don't think these boards get any calls. They, they think actually everything is okay. Mm -hmm. And if they started getting one of those, or if they got 100,000 of those, or a million of those, they probably would say, you know what, we, we got to review this. This is not going good. So it, it, it's going to be down to the court of public opinion. All right. Thank well, you. Thank you, Dr. McCullough, because we, we're with you, and I know you know that. We're going to bring more people into the fight with us. We are, because every one of us is going to continue to have these conversations, tell our listeners to have these conversations, do those things you just asked. And again, get these people out of their echo chamber to hear what the real American public, what the entire American public, right? They're going to hear from more just than just the people who agree with them. And, and that's our mission, because we want your name cleared. We know the hero that you've been during this pandemic, and we thank you. You again for being for being there and helping our listeners learn more so thank you dr mccullough yes thank Love you you. Thank, thank you thank you okay bye-bye bye, -bye. We'll see you later. bye.